Good morning, Joy Church. So good to see everybody this morning. You guys awake? You guys alive? It was beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol right at the end there. This morning is an exciting Sunday. It is our Legacy Offering Sunday. And so Pastor Jake has been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We do this every December. And the idea of this offering is that with this money, we want to do something to leave a legacy. And so we've done um, many different things over the years with the different uh, legacy offerings. If you guys put up that slide to, to remind me what we have done. Um, but like the, the big one, obviously, that we did was we remodeled this entire building. Aren't we all so happy that that one is, is past us? That one's in the past. So nobody, nobody break anything or drive your car into the windows or anything. So we can keep it that way. Keep it in the past, all right? Um, but in the past, we've given to Sheds of Hope. That was an outreach to help the communities of Blue River when they were devastated by that fire a few years ago. And then we, we also gave to Cottages of Hope, which was to provide housing here in the city for people who didn't have housing. And then we did our playground. The playground, that is a big part of the legacy offering was just putting in that enormous play structure and what an incredible thing that is. What is so cool about this idea of legacy is that if you, if you were given, um, people came to your property, let's say in Blue River, and they built a shed, you were devastated, right, by the fire, you lost everything, and then they built a shed, and the idea of that was so that you could put your stuff there so you could begin to build your new home. What a legacy for those families that was given, and the same idea, this playground, it's a legacy that we're hoping for our community, and the, as we get into the new year, we're going to be opening that up to the community, just so that they know, hey, this is a church that loves you. This is a church that you're welcome to come to. This is a church that cares about your kids being dry in Eugene, right? And me having a place to play. And that leaves a legacy in the community. Um, some other things that we want to do is debt retirement. God gave us this building. Um, and our vision, our hope is that we would have no debt on it. That in the future, we wouldn't have any debt. And if you guys might ask, how close are we? We're far. It's a bit, um, but that, that's our vision is we don't want to have debt on this building. We want to pay it off and just be able to continue doing whatever God is asking us to do. And if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, we had Pastor Tony from India and he told us all about um, the, the schools that you can buy, these buildings you can buy for $15,000. They can build a building in a rural um, area of India. They're planting, if you guys weren't here, they're planting a church every week this organization, which is absolutely incredible. So they're planting a new church every week. And when they um, have a building, they also open up a school. And it's a free school for kids. I think what he said was about 200 kids get to come to school for free. That's a big deal. That leaves a legacy in these children's lives that they could be educated for free. And so that's, that's $15,000 to do that in a rural community. And I think he said it was 20000 to do it inside of the city. And so that's something that we want to do this year with this legacy offering is that we would have, you know, a Joy Church Eugene school in India, which would be absolutely incredible. And so that's, that's what today is all about, is this idea that we're going to receive this offering. What we've been asking you guys to do is to simply pray. Pray, ask God, God, what would you have me give? What would you have my family give? What would you have our home? What, what should we give? And then we're asking that if God speaks to you, that you give that amount. We're not asking you to give any more. We're not asking you to give any less. We're just asking you to be open. Ask the Lord, God, what would you have me give in order to leave a legacy, not only in Eugene and Springfield, but all around the world. It's so incredible. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to speak to one of our missionaries that we um, give to in Puebla, Mexico. 
And he said that when we had given them a gift, what they used it for was they built, or they didn't build, they bought a house and they're remodeling it and they're going to use it for um, an orphanage. So it'll be like a small scale orphanage to invite children to live with like in-home, you know, uh, mom and dad and to be able to raise these kids. That is incredible, you guys. That is something that you guys are part of, that you're leaving a legacy for those kids in Mexico, which is absolutely incredible. And so that's what we're doing today is we just want to invite you to ask God, God, what would you have me give? And then whatever he says, you have the opportunity to do that today. If you um, have checks, if you're the kind of person who still has checks in your life, uh, you can write legacy right in the memo, or you can use the envelopes in the seat in front of you um, to, to just say that, hey, this is for legacy, or you can scan the QR code, and then you can give right online with all of your digital money that's somewhere in the ether, right? That's how it works. But I really encourage you guys to do that. Just pray, ask the Lord. If you guys are like, I never did my homework, I never prayed. Hey, you got this whole 30 minutes right now, okay? I beseech you, Lord, speak to me. Um, but it's, it's just really awesome. Thank you guys for considering doing that. How many of you guys have already watched a Christmas movie? All right, how many of you guys have already watched five? Oh, okay, good job, good job. How many of you guys started watching your Christmas movies um, around Halloween? Oh, okay, all right, all right. Um, my kids, a couple weeks ago, we were going to watch a, a Christmas movie, me and my kids, and um, so we were trying to decide which Christmas movie to watch. And the girl said, let's watch Home Alone. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, Home Alone, that's great. It's classic, right? And then they, they turned to Jack, my son. They said, Jack, you are not allowed to say every word in the movie. <laughs> and I said, girls, I am sorry. If you choose to play Home Alone. Jack and I will be saying every line from this movie. This is the contract you enter into if you play this movie in our home, right? We are gonna be saying all the lines, like Buzz, your girlfriend, woof, right? We can't help but say the line, we need to say it. Because we've seen the movie so many times. And maybe for, for you, there's movies like this in your life. When, for me, if you watch Princess Bride, I know it's old, but if you watch it, I'm gonna tell you every single line in the movie. It's just what is going to happen. And you probably have that as well with movies or shows, or maybe it's songs or whatever it is. You can't help yourself. You're going to say the lines to those, those movies. And it's because we've seen it so many times, right? We know it. We know what is going to happen. But you know what? We can actually be that way with the Christmas story. Every single year we hear the Christmas story. And so we can actually get the same way where it just becomes kind of background noise. Oh yeah, there's a virgin and there's a birth and there's some wise men. There's some frankincense for some reason. There's a drummer in, in the story. That's extra biblical. So you know that part's not actually in the Bible. There's some shepherds. There's a lot of angels appearing out of nowhere to everybody. And we just becomes background noise to us. But the, the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas is incredibly significant for every single one of us. And we're going to actually look today at some of the prophecies about Jesus. Prophecy is this word. It's, uh, it means that someone here, here God's, here, I'm, I'm mixing my words here, hears God speak, and then they speak those words to the people. And it's a prophetic word. And so there's actually prophetic words throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. If you know the story of the Bible, God has created this whole entire world, this whole universe. He creates human. He creates humans for relationship with him. In fact, it says that, that he created humans as image bearers, that we're supposed to actually bear the image of, of God, which you guys are like, uh-oh, 
That's how I feel when I hear that. Oh my, oh, that seems difficult, right? Well, it absolutely was difficult. Adam and Eve, we know the story. They chose sin, they chose evil that led evil into our world. God is an awesome, holy, wonderful God. And so it broke our relationship with him. But even in that moment in Genesis, God points ahead. And he points ahead and he says, I will make a way to be back in relationship with you. And what is he doing? He's actually pointing to Jesus. But nobody knew that for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we see this prophet Isaiah in the Bible. He comes, his whole entire book is named after him. So it's easy to find in the Bible. Isaiah, it's named after him. It's all of the prophecies that he is saying to this nation of Israel. That's God's chosen people. And they are looking forward, looking for a savior. What the word they use is Messiah. They're looking for their Messiah, this this chosen person of God who is going to save them. They don't know how he's going to save them. They don't know what he will look like when he comes. They don't know what it's going to be like, but they know someone is coming and he's coming to save us. And that is who Jesus is. And so Isaiah, he says these words 800 years before the birth of Jesus, but he prophesies that a savior is coming and who who it will be. And so the first one we're going to look at is Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is such an incredible scripture for you and I. It's beautiful. We know what it means, right? Spoiler. We know what it means because we're on this side of history. But the, the reason this verse, I think, is so incredible is this word Emmanuel. They're saying we're going to call the Savior who is to come. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with God us. This is so powerful for every single one of us. You know, uh, if you go into like Greek mythology or, or any of the, the different uh, ideas of gods, you see these gods who, who live far away and sometimes they visit earth, sometimes they care about the plight of people, but for the most part, they don't. For the most part, they're pretty finicky. For the most part, they have a lot of power and they don't really care about humans. And so it's incredible that Isaiah is saying, hey, our God is different. Our God is different, and when he comes, he's God with us. That he's not coming and setting himself up as, you know, the great powerful thing on a mountain or anything like that. No, he's coming as God with us. And that's the same thing that God is to us even today in our context, that Jesus is God with us. That Jesus didn't didn't come as as a ruler, he didn't come as a political power, but he came as a baby that he came in weakness, that he came in humility, and God became man to be with us. What an incredible, powerful thing for every single one of us to know, that God is not far off from you today. God is here. He is with you. He is with us that he wants to be with us every morning, that he wants to be with us every night before we go to sleep, that it's God with us in our life. St. Patrick Um, has a prayer that I think sums this up so beautifully. He said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. This is the promise of our Savior, that he is a God 
who is with us. He is not far off. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows the challenges that are ahead of you. And he is there with you. He is with us. And then if we want to move ahead in Isaiah, just a couple chapters over, and this is where we'll spend the majority of our time, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah is prophesying again. He says, for to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is such a beautiful promise for, for the, the Israelites during this time, but it's also a beautiful promise for us today. It says right there, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You see, Jesus was actually given to us. Jesus was given to us. This idea that God became man, that he didn't become a grown-up man, a powerful man. No, he was given to us as a humble baby. He was given to us as a baby that had to be nurtured and taken care of. He was given to us a gift to every single one of us. What a beautiful gift that we all have the opportunity to accept that this son was given to you, given to you for in your life, in your circumstances. And then it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What this idea, what they're saying, is that the government for all of time will be Jesus's. It'll be Jesus's government. He is going to govern the land. And I don't know about you, but maybe you look around and go, where? Is he governing this land? It's talking about in the future that Jesus will be in charge, that Jesus is the ultimate um, authority in throughout the land. And no matter what country you live in, I think everyone would say, I don't think he's quite the governor yet, right? And so this is, a, this is an idea that we're looking forward to the government of Jesus. But what's also incredible for us is that we have the opportunity to be governed by Jesus right now. That as Christians, that's what we're saying we're saying, hey, I am saying no longer is Bethany the governor. I'm going to have Jesus be the governor now. And so every morning when we encourage you, read your Bible, pray, what we're saying is every morning wake up and say, Jesus, you're my governor. Jesus, I'm governed by you. Jesus, would you govern my heart today? Would you govern my mouth today? Would you govern my mind today? Would you govern who I am? Would you be in control of who I am, of what I say, of what I do. I'm putting the governorship of my life over to you, Lord. I have a great quote, and of course it's long, because I always seem to find long quotes for you guys. But it says, Obviously Jesus is not in charge of the halls of Washington, London, Moscow, Baghdad, Paris, or Bonn. So how can we ever believe the government will be upon his shoulders? Actually, his government shows its workings in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. When I see people leave family to teach and to live in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know they are governed by God. So indeed, the government is alive 
and working, often silently, mostly unseen, we can be and are by choice governed by God. Hope and joy and peace and rest cover its subjects. Justice, mercy, and grace amazingly coexist. I like this kingdom. The borders are open. Come on in. This is the idea that every single one of us would be people who are governed by God. That we say, I relinquish control. I, I realize that I can't, I'm, I'm, the government is not going to save me. My, my finances are not going to save me. My job is not going to save me. My loved ones are not going to save me. I realize I need to be governed by something else. And when I am governed by God, with that beautiful thing that he said, there's peace, there's mercy, there's love, there's grace, because I'm governed by a different kingdom. I'm governed by Jesus. And that is what Isaiah is saying here. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to go through these names that Isaiah say that Jesus is known for. This doesn't mean his, his literal name, right? His name was Jesus. We know that. We even know that historically. But the idea of names in this Hebrew nation was so important. You weren't just named Bethany because your parents liked that name, right? Um, I'm trying to think of a, I'm not even going to say a name. Someone, someone's kid will be named that name, so I'm not even going to say that name. But now we just pick names because we think they sound good, but that isn't how they picked names. Names were significant. It expressed who you were at the core of your being. And so that's what Isaiah is talking about when he's going to go through these names of who Jesus is. It's not his literal name, but he's saying this is who, the essence of who Jesus is, is in these names. The first one he says is wonderful. Wonderful. The the idea of wonderful means it's full of wonder. When we look at Jesus, we should be full of wonder. When we see who he really is, it should fill our hearts with wonder. You know, I was five years old when the first time that I heard Jesus' voice in my heart, in my head, wherever it was, I didn't hear him out loud in my ears, but I knew God was speaking to me. I remember sitting in my little bunk bed and I was praying to God in, in my, you know, little kid, little way. And I was praying to him and I heard his voice. I heard that he knew me, that he called me, that he loved me, and it changed my entire life. It filled me with wonder. And every encounter, every time we see Jesus, it should fill us with wonder. For me, I knew from that moment on there was nothing else for me. It was, my life was the Lord's. I was going to live for Jesus. Whatever he asked me to do, I would do it. Why? Because I realized even as a five-year-old, if there is a God and he created me, then he should have my life. And so obviously there was times in my adolescence where I had my own dreams and I would wrestle with God. No, I want to do my own thing. I want to do this dream. I want to pursue this thing. But I would know I can't because I've seen him and it fills me with wonder. You know, the disciples, they were with Jesus and Jesus gave this teaching that was difficult for the people to understand. It was hard for them to understand. And so a lot of the followers fell away. They turned away. They went back to their homes. They weren't going to follow Jesus anymore. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And the disciples say, where else could we go? Only you have the words of life. And that's what it's like when you meet Jesus. Is it doesn't matter if, the, if what he says to you is hard. It doesn't matter if I don't always understand the things he's asking me to do or the parts of the Bible that I don't understand or circumstances that happen in my life that I, I can't reason through. I have this in my heart where I say, where else could I go, Jesus? Only you have the words of life. When you see Jesus, 
It should fill you with wonder. Fill you with wonder of who he is, of what he's done. The glory of who he is and what he has done for us should fill us with wonder. You can never really look at Jesus, really know him, and be bored. He is wonderful and will fill your heart and mind with amazement. The second thing that uh, Isaiah says is he says, counselor, that Jesus is our counselor. The idea of a counselor, this word, it means a person trained to give guidance. Now, for, for so many people, you go through different things in life and you realize, I don't know what to do with this situation. I don't know, I don't know what to do with these memories I've, I have. I don't know what to do with this pain I have. I don't know what to do with this confusing relationship I have. And so we go to a counselor. We go and we get counsel. We go to a therapist. We go and we try to find out, can you help me make sense of all of the things I'm thinking and feeling. And that counselor is a person trained to give guidance. Well, this is incredible. Isaiah is saying Jesus is the counselor. Jesus is your ultimate counselor. I don't know about you, but in life so many times, I like to go to everybody else before I go to Jesus. You know, I want to see what my mom thinks, what my sister thinks, what, what my neighbor thinks, what a stranger thinks. Go just take the bus places so I can find out what they think, right? The people that ride the bus. You guys are like, that's a bad idea. Um, right? We go to everybody. We do research. You know, we deep dive on Google. Yeah, what should I do? Should I be putting flaxseed on my face or whatever? You know, what are the different things that we deep dive? And yet we go at the very end when we say, I don't know what to do. Finally, we say, Jesus, could you help me? Well, what we're supposed to do is go to our counselor first. If a counselor is a person trained to give guidance and Jesus is called the wonderful counselor, it means that he holds all the counsel we could ever need. It means that he holds all the guidance that we need in our lives, that he is the one with the answers, that he is the one who can tell you what to do about the situations that you're going through. I remember a few years ago, I, I had gone through some different things in my life, and I had had so many of these accusations that were made against me, and I had just gotten very confused. I was very muddled in my own head. I couldn't really think straight. I was beginning to question everything about my life. I was questioning uh, my, who I was as a mom. I was questioning who I was as a wife. I was questioning myself as a pastor. And it, we're still doing church. We still have church every Sunday. You know, there's a Sunday every Sunday. But I'm going through all of these things and I'm really having this identity problem and all these words that were spoken over me. And I was taking them in, but I was confused. And I was supposed to speak on Sunday morning, but I'd just been in this time where it literally felt like I was drowning. Like I wasn't over the water. I wasn't over the waves. I was in the water. I was in the waves and I couldn't seem to get out. And I knew I have to get my head clear. I have to get my heart right so I can speak this Sunday. And this was Saturday night. We had eaten dinner as our family. And I was just like, I'm just going to go for a walk. And so I go for a walk and I put in some headphones and I'm listening to worship music, but I can't even, I'm trying, I'm, in my head I'm thinking I need to think about the sermon, you know, <laughs> I need to get my notes ready. But I couldn't, I couldn't even go there because I was just filled with all of this confusion, this, this stuff that I had been dealing with for, for quite a while. And so I was listening to this worship song, just walking, and then um, at, at this song, it's a Carrie Job song, and I should have looked it up during between the services to know what the name of it is, but I don't. What is it? 
the blessing. And it was very popular at this time. So it's that song you know and for your generations, for your family and your children and their children and their children and their children. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've heard it on Caleb, right? And their children. You're like, how many children, right? Forever. This blessing is going to go on and on and on. And so I'm listening to that song. And there's a point in the song where she starts saying, he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And something happened in that moment where all of a sudden I knew God was speaking to me. Yes, you know, I can listen to that song. I love that song. He can speak to everybody. But I knew in that moment God was personally speaking to me. And he was speaking those words into my heart saying, I am for you. I am for you. And I was walking in my neighborhood. I was already walking fast because that's the way that I fast. I walk and I had headphones in and I have hair. So probably nobody even knew I had headphones in, right? And so now I start crying. I just start, tears start coming down my face. So now I'm just looking like a crazy person, except it was during the pandemic. So I knew it's okay. Everybody's going through stuff. My neighbors see me out the window. They're gonna be like, we all feel that way. She's working it out. She's working it out, right? But now I'm crying and now I just begin to lift up my hands because God was speaking to me. He was beginning to undo all of those lies, all of those things that I had been stuck in, in one moment that God, the great counselor came and he spoke the words of life over my life. And that's what he wants to do for you, that when you are stuck and you say, no, I'm just, I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. No, I am just a depressed person. No, I am just an angry person. No, I have these thoughts, these words that were spoken over me. Jesus, the great counselor comes and he wants to speak truth into your life. If you will be a person who says, Jesus, I'm listening. I'm waiting for your counsel. I'm waiting for your teaching. Will you speak to me, God? Will you help me to undo all the things that are going on in my head right now? God, would you give me your counsel in this situation? Will you show me how to walk out of this moment? And God is faithful. He will walk you through. He is the wonderful counselor in your life. The next thing it says is mighty God. Mighty God. This word mighty says possessing great and impressive power and strength. Mighty. He's mighty. He's not a wimp. He's not like just a little bit. He doesn't have just a little bit of power and then he drains out. No, he's mighty. He's mighty in your life and he wants to work mighty miracles in your life. As a kid growing up in church, you could really get this idea hearing all the stories that Jesus and the devil, they're just like these totally, you know, equal powers fighting and who's going to win? Absolutely not. That's not the real story. We serve a God who is so mighty. It isn't even a competition. It isn't even a threat to him. There is no thing that God cannot do. And so when you see in your life things ahead of you, when you see mountains ahead of you, when you see valleys ahead of you, when you see circumstances and you say, God, I do not see how you could possibly do anything in this. He's the mighty God. And that's what we remind ourselves. No, you are the mighty God. You can do what only you can do. I can't see it with my eyes, but I know you will either get me through the mountain, over the mountain, or around the mountain. That God, you are going to work something on my behalf. I have some friends who, who live in a different place and they're going through a situation and, and almost every Sunday they're calling me and telling me about this situation. But I know that God is mighty and God is going to work a mighty miracle for them. So they can't see it. They can't see how God is gonna make their circumstance change. And I don't see it. I don't know how God is gonna do it, but I know he will. I know he can because he's mighty. He is not weak. He is mighty, and he's not mighty for, for the good Christians. No, he's mighty for you. 
He's mighty for you in your circumstances that you see ahead of you, that you think there is no way. Jesus says there is a way. I am your mighty God, and I want to be full of might on your behalf as well. Mighty God. The next thing Isaiah says is everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. This idea, everlasting, that means forever. That right there, Isaiah is saying, Jesus is your forever Father. He's forever for you, He's forever your dad. If you have kids or if you have grandkids, you know, there's like two different kinds of parents and grandparents. You're either the one who has to show everyone the photos or you're the one who shows nobody photos. I'm usually more like the no one photos, right? If we meet, if we meet strangers and we don't have our kids with us, Jake just wants to tell them about our kids. And he's always like, oh, let me show you. Let me show you them. Let me show you them. And in my head, I'm thinking, they don't care. They don't care at all about our children. But that, but right, as a father, he is so full of pride. He loves those kids. And so he wants to brag about them. He wants to talk about them. He wants everybody to see them, right? Because for him, it is, it is his pride. It is his joy. Think about how much more your father in heaven thinks about you. How much more your father in heaven loves you, wants to show people your picture. Have you seen Fill in your own name, okay, in your head. Have you seen them? Do you know them? They're amazing. And this is hard for us to hear because we say, no, I'm not. And he already knows it. He knows who I am. He knows what I've done. No, your father is proud. He says, I formed you. I made you. And I know who you can be. I know what you can do. Your father is proud of you. He is your father for all past, present, and future time your everlasting father to you. I had a, a, a great dad. He was a, he was a Christian. He led me to Jesus and he you know, brought me to church. So he was a good Christian dad. But my dad, for whatever reason, never told me that he was proud of me. And so when, in, it's, I'm gonna say this as far as I remember. So in my heart as an adolescent, I never, I, I wanted him to tell me he was proud of me. And so, you know, in those teenage years, those young years, and then even in my 20s, it was like I had this hole, this aching, because I just needed him to be proud of me. So everything I did, in some ways, it was me trying to get his attention and be like, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? And I, I never obviously asked that question because that would be very direct, and most of us are not that direct with our families, right? But I never actually asked that question, but everything I would do was searching for him to be proud of me. And I remember the day, I remember the moment, I remember where I was when I was in my 30s, and he told me, it was so random, and he told me, I'm proud of you. But you know what's incredible? When he said it to me, it was significant. I was glad to hear it, but I no longer had this aching heart. It was no longer this void that I needed filled by him. Because in the meantime, I had really come to know God as my everlasting father. I had really come to know that Jesus is my father, that he loves me past, present, and future, that he was proud of me. And so I no longer had that hole in my heart. I was glad to hear the words. It was, you know, it was a fine moment. I remember it. But it was no longer the significant aching hole. Listen to me. God is your father. We live in this society of broken relationships with our fathers, even with our mothers. And that is, that's why it's so significant that Isaiah is saying, he's your everlasting father. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is always there for you. When he sees you, he loves you. 
When he sees you, he knows you. He knows the things that make you laugh. He knows the things that break your heart. He knows the pain that you've gone through. He knows those times where you thought, I was all alone. And he says, no, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I was with you in those moments. I was with you in that pain. I was with you then. He is your everlasting father. He is the father that never leaves, always protects, always hopes, always believes. The last thing that Isaiah says here is he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. When I hear the word peace, I just think of calm, you know. And, and then, of course, I always think the calm before the storm, right? <laughs> sure, it's calm now. That means your toddler is markering something everywhere or, or doing something absolutely terrible, filling the toilet with rocks or something, right? There is no peace when you have a toddler. But actually, that's not what peace means. It doesn't mean calm. Peace means freedom from disturbance. Absolute freedom from disturbance. I don't know about you, but I don't have freedom from disturbance. But that's what Jesus had. There's a story of Jesus when he's, he's a man and he has his followers and him and his disciples are mostly fishermen, right? So they know about boats. They know what to do out on the water. And if I'm out on the water, that's who I want to be with, okay? No offense to you if you are like a postman. But I don't want to go out in the water with you. I want to go with people who know what they're doing on a boat because I don't know what I'm doing on a boat. So I want to be with people who know what they're doing on the boat. And they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And it says that Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat and a great storm comes. And this storm is so crazy that the disciples who are fishermen, who know what they're talking about, they know about boats. They're like, we're going to die. This storm is too crazy. We're going to capsize. The boat is going to sink. What should we do? That's how bad this storm was. And Jesus is just asleep, probably having the best day's sleep of his life, being rocked to sleep by the waves, right? He's like, finally, I've been preaching all day long, all these followers, I had to make all that bread. Finally, I get some sleep. And the disciples come and they're distressed and they're worried, obviously, because there's a storm. We say, yeah, I, I get why they're distressed, I understand. But Jesus doesn't understand why they're distressed. He gets up and he's like, why are you guys so worried? And they're like, and we do this in our life where Jesus says, why are you so worried? And we're like, look around. Look at everything I'm going through. Look at what those people said. Look what's going on at my job. Look what's going on with my kids. Look what's going on in my family. I don't know what my future holds. Look at my past. What do you mean why am I, why am I worried? And Jesus, what he did in that moment is he spoke to the storm and he just said, be still. And the storm was gone. He was, he was peace. Jesus was at peace. He was free from disturbance. There's no storm was going to disturb Jesus. None of that, that worry, that fear that everybody else was feeling, it didn't touch Jesus because he was free from it. Because he was at peace. And that's what he promises for us, that we would be people who have peace. Because if you have the Prince of Peace in your life, you can be a person of peace. In my life, when other people are worried about the economy or they're worried about the government or they're worried about, I don't even know, a new iPhone that came out. I don't know. What are we all worried about? I don't need to enter into the worry because I know I have the Prince of Peace. I can be free from disturbances. I can walk in peace because he is peace. It says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. That Jesus was this son, this baby that was given to you, was given to me to be our wonderful counselor, our everlasting Father, our mighty God, our Prince of Peace for you personally today, that he wants to meet you in that way. You know, it's such a beautiful thing that Isaiah said that God is with us. Not just then, but even now. Isaiah, he said these words and it wasn't, it was 800 years until the baby is born. So he, he never gets to meet Jesus. He never gets to see the baby. He never gets to see the man. He never gets to see that. But us on this side of the story, we know that Jesus came. The Bible says that he came as a baby, that he lived a perfect life, that God was with us, that he, he uh, was tempted in every way that we are tempted so that he could be like us, so he could know what we go through. But the Bible says he, he never sinned. He was tempted in every way we are tempted but never sinned. He lived that perfect life. And he had friends who betrayed him. He had people who mocked him. He had people who labeled him and called him names. And then he was brutally murdered on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, what was happening was God was putting onto Jesus all of the wrath, all of the punishment for all of the sin of the world. So the sins that I've done, the wrong that I've done, the people that I've hurt, the sin that I will probably do today and the sin that I will probably do later in my life. Jesus took on all that punishment on that day. It says that the wrath of God was poured out on him. And then he died. Three days later, he, when he rises from the dead, it's an incredible miracle, but also what was happening, him coming back to life, was he was conquering sin and death. He was conquering death. He was conquering sin on that cross so that you don't have to bear the weight of it. So that every single one of us that chooses him, that says, Jesus, I could put my faith in my money. I could put my faith in my own skills. I could put my faith in this current economy. I could put my faith in so many things. But I see, I've seen you, Jesus. I see who you are. It has filled me with wonder. And I realize there is nothing else for me to put my faith in except Jesus Christ. There is nothing else in this world that can save me. That truly you are the Messiah. You are the only one who can save me from this life that I've had. And that's what we're saying when we're saying, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to know Jesus? What we're saying is, will you be governed by him now? Will you say there is no other way for me to live my life? God, I'm submitting my life to you. I'm turning over the governorship to you, Jesus. Would you rule my life? Would you be the king? No longer Bethany king, but Jesus, king of my life. If everyone would just bow your head and close your eyes this morning, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus and this is resonating with you and you're saying, I want to know him, I want to know who he is, I want to put my faith in him, would you just lift up your hand for me? We're going to uh, pray with you. We're going to pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else in this room? Thank you. Anybody else? Just not trying to embarrass you. We're just giving you this opportunity to say, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to turn my life over to you. Thank you. Anybody else? What we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to say it all together so that you don't feel alone. But this isn't, this isn't like magic words or perfect words. It's just a way for you to verbalize that you're saying, Jesus, you're my king now. I'm turning over my life to you. I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my allegiance in you and you alone. So if everyone in the room, if you would just repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you 
Thank you for coming as a baby. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for taking on the punishment of my sin. God, would you forgive me? I'm giving you my life. I'm putting my faith in you. God, I don't want to be the king anymore. Will you be the king of my life? In Jesus' name, amen.